You are listening to The Beckett Cook Show with your host, Beckett Cook. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. To help support the podcast, visit patreon.com slash the Beckett Cook Show. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a five-star rating. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Today I have a very special guest, John Noyes. He is one of the speakers uh, for Stand to Reason. He's on staff with Stand to Reason, and he's been we've been on the same tour basically for the last eight months with Stand to Reason for the Student Reality Apologetics Conference. And I wanted to have him on because his talk has been on suicide. So that's that's what his talk has been during this whole conference. And there was an article in the New York Times the other day about the the mental health crisis among U.S. teens. And I wanted to have him on to talk about this crisis and uh, talk about suicide. And the the article, the main article in the New York Times, the title is It's Life or Death, The Mental Health Crisis Among U.S. Teens. And the subtitle is Depression, Self-Harm, and Suicide Are Rising Among American Adolescents. And when I first saw these articles the other day, I knew that the New York Times would not really get to the real reasons why uh, this crisis is happening. And, and I didn't even want to read the articles because I thought they're just not, they're not going to have any real answers. And so, of course, that day I saw a tweet by Ali Bestucki. And she she tweeted this, the New York Times reports mental health for teens is at an all time low, but they don't say the real reasons why. It's not hard. And then she lists several reasons. It's not hard. Lockdowns, social media, godlessness, all forms of progressivism, moral and identity confusion, lack of true community, purposelessness. And so I when I saw her tweet, it confirmed what I was already feeling about the New York Times article. And so that's why I reached out to John and I was like, uh, can you come on my show? Because I want to talk about this and get to the real causes of this and get to the root of it, because obviously the New York Times is not going to get to that. So um, we're just waiting. We're standing by for him to join us any second. And uh, I'm excited to have him on today. Welcome, John Noyes. Hey, thanks, Beckett. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad you're you're here because this is a very, very serious topic. And um, I sent you the New York Times articles on this. And and but before we get into that, I just want to ask you. Yeah, obviously, we were on the, you know, stand to reason reality student apologetics conference together, which was amazing. We even had our own Q&A for my talk, which was great. And you were a great uh, interlocutor. interlocutor. <laughs> and um, so that was that was great. And I'm sad it's over, but, you know, yeah. we're moving on. But um, before we get into this article, tell me, because I don't even know if I ever knew why, but why was suicide the topic that you addressed during this conference? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. <laughs> I don't know if you're gonna like the answer. We'll see. So I uh, I was new to Stand to Reason. I had just been brought on board, and we were in Dallas at the Reality Conference three years ago. The pastor at that church had like a ministry dealing with suicide. Well, a, a, a set of circumstances came about that the pastor wasn't able to give his talk, and we were at Stand to Reason. We were kind of like, oh well, I mean. It's a, it, we'll fill, we'll, we'll just put somebody else in a different topic on like the, the outcry was unreal. So like, they were like, no, 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 we should talk about this. So we had Drew who traveled with us. He filled in cause he had some information on suicide and the room was like overflowed. I mean, they literally had to put a, a guy outside to prevent more people from coming in. So we saw the felt need. I was the new guy on board. They said, Hey, who wants to prepare a talk on suicide? And I, you know, the, the, the overachiever, you know, I want to get involved. Yeah, I'll do it. And I raised my hands. Now that's how I came about 
preparing the talk, getting involved with Stand the Reason in the, in the topic. But in my past, my cousin in 2011 died by suicide. He shot himself. And wow. then during the prep for all of this, all of my research three years ago, June, my first roommate in California, he killed himself. Wow. Um, so really, this is an issue that that touches us all, you know, and I think if, if you're if you reflect on your past and where you come from, uh, you've seen it. And, and I think your listeners and your the people who are watching this now can say, oh, yeah, this is an issue that has touched us all as the New York Times article kind of uh, states. Yeah, I mean, the New York Times article really is focused on teenagers and it says that. Uh, one of the things it says is from uh, from 2001 to 2019, the suicide rate for American youngsters from ages 10 to 19 jumped 40 percent. Yeah. And emergency room visits for self-harm rose 88 percent. Cutting and self-harm rose 329 percent in one decade. And so what do you make of all this? What do you make of what's going on in the culture? What's going on with teenagers specifically in terms of not only, you know, self-harm and mental health crisis, but, but suicide. Yeah, sure. So the, the first thing that comes to, to everybody's mind, Beckett is, is mental health. I mean, that's kind of like what the, the article that you sent me kind of purports every, everything in the literature that's uh, the, the secular literature is going to kind of place all of this in one lump category of mental health. Now, what I want to do is I want to kind of go deeper, you know, because we live at a time where we understand mental health issues better than any other time. We, we're better able to treat uh, depression, uh, schizophrenia, multiple personality disorder, all of these things, we can treat them better, whether it be counseling, medication, or a combination of the both. We also live at a time where we have a, a, a more advanced and technical understanding of how the brain works than any other time in history. So with the advances of medical technology and the advances of scientific information that's available to us, we, I, in my opinion, I think that we should be seeing suicide rates declining, but we're not. So why is that? Well, I think it's worldview related. Ultimately, you know, I think our culture has uh, become uh, largely uh, secular, you know, and as the Judeo-Christian influences wane, uh, ideas have consequences and how we answer life's most important questions uh, aren't so straightforward anymore. Questions of meaning, purpose, origin, destiny, uh, stuff like that. And we start placing, now this is like the 10,000 view. I'm I'm like going to be like a fire hydrant, right? Uh, What happens is, is we start placing our value, our worth, and our hope in things that are ultimately fleeting, like money, sex, jobs, power, stuff like that, status. Social media, you know, <laughs> likes and dislikes. Yeah. Social media likes. Well, what happens when, um, what happens when we, we fail? What happens when you're like Kate Spade, for example, right? You know the name Kate Spade. Yeah. Yeah. She, she died by suicide. And so this is a woman, and, and this, this actually probably hits cl- close to home for you because she, she grinded for 30 years to make it in the fashion world. Yeah. That's not easy to become a, 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 a known everyday name is nearly impossible. She gets there. And what does she find? She finds uh, that the promises that were made to her ultimately were false. And then she ends up believing a lie that she's better off dead than alive. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, why, but why do people believe that lie? Well, it's because they lose hope. And where do we turn for hope? We turn to our worldviews. We turn to the things that the world that we see as, as it is, like how it is, everything according to reality. And we, we pull hope from our worldviews. Well, if you don't have a transcendence, like a presence in your worldview, that means you're going to lose hope ultimately and eventually because you're placing it in something that's transient. It, you can lose it. And then when you lose it, you got to build it back up. You more money, more sex, more power. Well, you yeah. lose it. More, more money, more sex, more power. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. That's yeah, what I'm seeing. I mean, before you came on, I was talking about Ali Best Stucky. She tweeted about the New York Times article. And 
she had it's it's the reason why i i wanted to do this episode this week because she she wrote in her tweet the new york times reports mental health for teens is at an all-time low but they don't say the real reasons why it's not hard lockdowns social media godlessness all forms of progressivism moral and identity confusion lack of true community purposelessness one of the things that um that has absolutely like just been really surprising to me at the onset, but now it makes sense to me is when you read the literature, you're going to hear all these reasons. They're going to give all these reasons as to why people die by suicide, why people are suffering depression. It's going to be loss of status, loss of finances, you know, uh, bullying is, is certainly, and the, I'm not saying that these aren't true. They are, this is, this is a reality that we live in, but at the end of the day, they don't actually offer a real reason why these are things that led to this point. But why do these things uh, fail to to fulfill the deepest longings in our in our heart, right? Why do they fail to give us that meaning? Well, it, and then the because the the naturalistic answers that people are turning to, they they don't avail themselves to the true answer because the answer is spiritual. Yeah, right. The answer we live in a world that is spiritual in nature. Right, God exists and He exists for all people in all places at all times. And he's made the way he's made the world according to a certain reality that we have to navigate. So we can ignore that reality and say, la, 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 I don't want to believe it. But when we do, we suffer consequences. And now we're, these are some of the consequences. But why, but why specifically, because in this article, why has, and in your opinion, why is the suicide rate for teenagers, for example, ha, ha, why is it jumped so dramatically? Like what's yeah. going on there? Yeah. On multiple factors, it's not going to be just one. Uh, the article actually discusses some of this. There's been a shift in, um, well, the, biologically how we see teens, um, I guess, maturing. Yeah. So the early- article, in the article, it says that in the mid 1800s, girls in Western countries started puberty around the age of 16. Now they start at 12. And so basically, and, and then it says, uh, and there, there's also changes in nutrition, rising obesity and exposure to chemicals. And so uh, these seem to, I mean, the, the, the age of puberty onset has changed dramatically, which which according to the New York times, you know, extends adolescence. It makes adolescence even longer and adolescence is hard enough as it is. And now it's been protracted to, to, you know, several more years. So there's that aspect. Yeah. Well, it's also consider what's happening with the, with the brain and and development at this point. Right. So you're developing these um, desires to connect in deep ways socially, right there. There's a developmental, there's a development of, kind of a hierarchical pecking order, right? You're figuring out how the world works, but the, the part of your brain that is meant to kind of handle that, to, to deal with that, that the, the, the drama of that, how we would say it, isn't yeah. developing. So, and then, and then you multiply this uh, by adding in things like social media, where we're completely changing the way people are interacting. I mean, it used to be, I just, I, uh, there's a great book. Oh man, I'm not gonna be able to remember the name of it off the top of my mind. Um, it's on gender and, and the, the author, she points out that especially among girls, what we're seeing in, in the gender issue is, is more gender dysphoria. These girls who think that they're boys or they don't is know. Is this what Abigail Schreier's book? Yes. Irreversible damage. Yeah. Irreversible I just, damage. I just read that book. It's amazing. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. And she points this out that the, um, that the, the, one of the reasons why girls are kind of change the, the drastic changes that we're seeing in girls is because they're not interacting with each other. Like they used to, you know, they used to at least be like in the, like the mean girls, right. We, yeah. we all know the mean girls, but you know, now that's not even happening. Like, cause we used to process things in groups together, face to face you at school. We can all remember it. Every one of us had drama in school, but one, you did it in groups, you found allies, you figured out how to navigate that uh, within a social setting and you found your friends and even your friend, like within friend groups, you had friend groups. That's not happening anymore. Two, you could get away from it. When you had a bad day at school, you came home and, yeah. and 
you forgot about it. You know, then the weekends came and then you had, you know, whatever sports or whatnot. None of that is happening. Now they can't escape it because it's all online. You know, if, if, yeah. if you, uh, if you sit in white jeans in a chocolate bar on the back of your seat, you know what I mean? Like, it's a really embarrassing thing. This just happened to my daughter. It's a really embarrassing thing, right? For an hour until you get a new pair of jeans on. And then maybe one or two people remember it, but now you got cell phones, people take a pictures of it, uploading it to Instagram and it's there forever. And you're forever known yeah. as the person who sat in the chocolate bar. Uh, and that's a mild example, right? So, and so that's you, by you the couple- way that, I mean, it said in this article, it said by, by 2018, 95% of American teens had a smartphone and nearly half of these teens reported being online almost constantly. Constantly. Well, did you catch it? The, one of the stories about the, the, the article recalled a story about a girl they called M. Yes. You know, and her parents, she's the girl who ran into the woods at the very beginning. Her parents kind of acquiesced when, they, when she was 10 to get her her first smartphone. Yeah. 10 years old. Because they were and, both and we're working, not even sure yeah. how these are affecting kids right now, and and it's just it's a mess, you know. I, I feel like I feel like it's a combination. You to get back to kind of your question, like why all this stuff? It's a combination of a lot of things, but then you couch it in a distinctly secular worldview. You that that all of this is what matters, you know, and and there's no transcendence. Ultimately, we're just meat suits in motion. Well, that worldview can't deliver on the promises it makes. So you turn to these social media outlets where everybody's living a curated life and you're, and you're even trying to procure uh, like, like, like further your fake life while knowing it's fake. Uh, And, and you're looking at your friends saying, oh my gosh, how come, how come I don't get to go to Disneyland every other week? How come I don't look like her? How come, well, she has six filters on her phone and like her, everything she's showing you is fake. You know, so, so this is, yeah, it's this idea of like, I can't measure up to my friends. Like they're having way more fun than I am. And, and also it's so isolating. I mean, I think the article gets into this, but uh, it's so isolating to be on social media and to be on Tumblr and to be on these websites and to kind of go and to be even on these um, uh, what a, there's another platform that these kids go. It's like this anime thing that they get into in video games, but to kind of be, so isolated and not interacting with other humans. It's, I mean, we community for human beings is crucial to our thriving and, and to our well being and our health and our mental health. But these kids um, who are on social media for so much of the day and, and so much of the night, I can't even imagine what they're facing and what they're dealing with and how, how, uh, how lonely they feel, how, um, disconnected they feel. And even though, you know, we're quote more connected than ever, we're more disconnected really than ever because of social media. And so, so what, I mean, what do you talk about in your session, you know, at, at reality apologetics, what do you talk about when, in terms of kind of helping, helping them understand what this is about and what to do about it? I mean, what's, what's kind of the, the antidote to this? (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So it's um, the way I approach the topic is I ask three questions. Why does this matter? Uh, why do people contemplate suicide and what can we do now? Why does this matter? We already covered. I mean, this, the statistics are unreal. It's a suicide is the number two leading cause of death for people ages 10 to 34 in this country. Wow. More than a million uh, ER visits every year due to suicide attempts. And that statistic that I said, like, I mean, we're talking 118 people die every single day by suicide. That's all pre-pandemic numbers. And that's not counting the 25 attempts for everyone's success. I mean, so it matters. We've already kind of established that it's affecting so many people and the numbers are getting, getting more and more uh, concerning. Yeah. You know? So why do people contemplate suicide? Well, I, I, we kind of touched on that. It, it's according to where you land on your worldview, because uh, even if you're a Christian, you struggle. And that's something I actually really stress because the majority of our audience at these conferences is Christian. Yeah. So I want to make sure people know that you can fully be sold out for Jesus. I mean, you can be the most devout Christian, you know, and you can still lose hope. 
You, yeah. know, you can still believe the lies of the devil. And that in, in that statement right there, we kind of see our answer a little bit to your question. We live in a world where the devil roams around like a roaring lion seeking somebody to devour, right? You, this is one of the things I love about your presentation. This is, this is my favorite part. And the last, uh, the last one, where were we? Uh, Alabama? No. No, Augusta, Georgia. Augusta, Georgia. <laughs> it's all blending together. It's all blurred now. Yeah. Yeah. But in Augusta, Beckett, you couldn't even stay on your seat for half of our interview. I know. I was, I was getting riled up. I was like standing up. It was incredible. But like, that's the way I feel inside every time you start getting to these identity issues. And, and you, you'll say this, you say verbatim, you say, the devil will lie to you. He will lie to you to destroy your life. And that's what we're seeing ultimately. And, and it's funny because in this issue, uh, people want to, if, I, I don't sometimes think that that satisfies because I want a naturalistic answer. You know, that's what I want for some reason. It's just been built into us, but that's because we've been placed into and the culture has become more secular in nature. But the reality of it is, is that our war is spiritual and there's a spiritual battle raging just underneath the surface of this world. And the devil is lying to us. When you watch that video, you sent me also the video that was related to this article. These kids or young adults now, all of their issues are uh, identity related. Yeah. They're trying to figure out who they are and what their significance is. Yet they're going to school being taught that, you know, they're just a random quantification of molecules, meat suits in motion, bumping into each other. Well, how does that allow for transcendence in any way? How does that allow for meaning and purpose? I don't think it does, you know, but the Christian also wrestles too, because we, we suffer loss and trials. And then we also, I don't know if you know any Christians who are legalistic, but legalism is like rampant in the church right now, you know, overlaying a system of do's and don'ts, but we have to come to the understanding that life isn't about living by a system of do's and don'ts, keeping record of right and wrong. God isn't this like far off being that created us just to kind of watch us mess up. He's certainly not an angry father waiting for us to mess up. You know, he, he's a God who loves us so much that he gave us his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him will inherit eternal life. Yeah. You know, so, so God gave uh, his son over to us so that we don't have to live the perfect life that oftentimes we strive to live. So that's kind of like the nuts and the bolts of my talk, you know, and my, my goal is to give people confidence in that the idea that God exists and he loves them. And there's nothing that they can do to separate themselves from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, nothing. And just because we're in trials, just because we find ourselves in a temptation or circumstances that are overwhelming, doesn't mean that our life is over. And actually that's something I really appreciated about the New York times article. They pointed that out that the, that suicide, the research shows that if you can push through those suicidal tendencies, mm-hmm. they dissipate. Yeah. And life does get better. Brett Kunkel, he says that we don't want to confuse the moment with the story. We don't want to confuse the moment that we find ourselves in, the moment of trial and hardship, with the totality of our life. You see, and when we push on, push through the trials, push through the tribulations, uh, God will shine his light on us he will pick us up dust us off and use us well uh, there's uh, back in the i remember back in the 80s or 90s there was that kind of mantra about suicide and it was suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem that's right and And, that's a good saying yeah and apparently i mean in this new york times piece uh it the, the it's dramatically more um it's affecting girls way more than boys uh dramatically and so what do you think i mean the article gets into this but what's behind that why are young girls uh attempting suicide and self-harm more than boys young boys yeah the the pressures are different you know um the i i have four daughters so like Dude, somebody is always crying in my house. I mean, it's usually me, like over in the corner, like in the fetal position, not knowing what in the world is going on. But girls are more emotional. You know, they're um, they're more concerned about the their their status. Like we talked about the development in the brain. Also, when a girl develops, for example, uh, they develop much more noticeably physically. Yeah. 
you know, um, and that's very, that can be very disorienting and very uncomfortable for you, for a young girl, especially when puberty starts at nine years old. I mean, it's like, it's insane. what's happening? Yeah. And, and they don't know how to handle that too, because their body is, their body is a woman, but their mind is still a little girl. Yeah. You know, and, and the hormones are racing. And like, I, like we said before the, the brain development, that the parts that the coping parts of the brain aren't keeping up with the developmental portions and the relational portions. So they, they want to engage in these adult activities or relationships. Not, I'm not saying romantic, but just, they, they, they know that there's this pecking order. They want to be popular. They want to be seen. They want to be heard, but then they're in this body that is awkward and when they get slighted or hurt, they don't have the mental capacities yet to actually deal with those things. So it's a multitude of things. I mean, it's, it's, and it's so sad. You know, yeah. It's and so and sad. Abig- I think Abigail Schreier in her book, um, Irreversible Damage, she, I think she talks about how girls tend to internalize things, whereas boys, yeah. boys are more external. So boys, you know, for better, for worse, boys are more kind of aggressive and like they'll punch something or they'll, they'll go, you know, play sports or do something to kind of get that angst out of themselves. Whereas girls just internalize that angst. And so I think that's why it affects, that's another reason why it affects uh, young girls. I think way more. Absolutely. But what we're, it's interesting what we're seeing now, and I'm not, I don't remember if the New York times article hit this up, but we're actually seeing this is awful, but we're seeing suicide actually break through barriers, which otherwise it stopped at. For example, in the African American community, the black community, usually historically suicide rates were almost non-existent. Right. They just, they just didn't exist. Well, now we're seeing it break through and we're seeing suicide rates for specifically African American women shooting up adolescent girls shooting up. Uh, Suicide is now the number one cause of death for Asian American males, you know, so uh, we're seeing, we're seeing these, we're seeing suicide, these things, mental illness, all this stuff break through these barriers. Things aren't getting better is what I'm saying. They're getting worse, which is really sad. (laughs) And so, (laughs) which is why we need to be talking about it. Yeah. And so tell me like at the, the conferences, I know that, you know, the students come, come up to you after you speak. Yeah. And they tell, get, tell us some of the feedback you get from these kids. <laughs> um, so I'm a pastor at heart, Beckett. Like you, we know each other now. Um, so this stuff really affects me. Um, it's really hard. I got to be honest. Like, it's really hard. I hear, uh, I hear some good stories. Let's start there. Uh, I, there was a girl in Minneapolis three years ago. Who came up to me broken uh, after my talk. And this is how it normally goes, everybody. John, I'm so glad I came to this talk. Thank you. And I say, well, why? You know, like, thank you. You know why? She says to me, she says, I was going to kill myself tomorrow morning. Wow. I have, I haven't been taking my meds. My parents are going to go to church. I haven't been going to church with them. I was going to take all of my pills. I was going to drink whatever it was that her parents had. And I was just going to go to sleep. And she's like, I know I have a lethal dose, but I came here and she, she says, this is what she says. I'm not making this stuff up. And it has nothing to do with me, Beckett, like in, in your, your watching audience, like this is nothing to do with me and everything to do with where this young girl was at in her life. Mm-hmm. And what she said is, uh, but now I have hope. I realize I'm broken, but not permanently. Life will go on. And then I plugged her in with a pastor and all this stuff. Well, I saw her this year. Now, two years later, she came running up to me. So she was 15 that no 14. Then now she's 17, completely different. (laughs) So this girl comes running up to me in Minneapolis. It gives me a huge hug. And I'm like, this is awkward. Like, this is really (laughs) weird. Cause normally I do like the side hug kind of thing or, or not really. I try to make it clear that I'm keeping my distance. Well, she comes up and I had to kind of look at her eyes and I knew who she was, but I couldn't place it. And she's like, do you, I am. And she said her name. I come to your talk. Now, this is the third time I didn't get a chance to say hi last year, but I am doing so good. And this talk like revives me every year because you remind me of who I am. And when she said that she started to cry, she says, this is so cool. She says, I'm a real life princess. 
because I'm a daughter of the true king. That's what (laughs) she says. And she says that because that's what I say to my girls every night before I tuck them in. And I include that sometimes in my talk, you know? So that's one story of like where I see this broken girl who came and she was, she was dead set on killing herself, believe in the lie of Satan, that she was better off dead than alive without hope. And then she sat through the talk. She was reaffirmed. She saw that people in the biblical narrative wrestled with suicide. I go through all of that. Solomon, Jonah, Paul, Elijah, all of these people had suicidal thoughts, but they pressed on. She realized that if she presses on, there will be a better day. She does that. And I get to see the results of that. But then I hear stories of, I mean, just awful brokenness. Um, Well, how many, uh, when you, when you, in your talks, I mean, roughly when you're talking to these kids, how many of them in the, in the audience are struggling with this? Is it a huge majority or is it just like a fraction of the, the audience? Oh man, that's hard. Like of the ones that come up, I'd say if I have an audience this last weekend, I had uh, about 200 people in the room. Yeah. I'd say 30 stayed to talk and, um, and some success stuff, some, Hey, I just want to let you know, you're doing great work. All the stuff that you're saying really helped and got me through when I was having a hard time. Uh, some people, a lot, a lot of the people Beckett are saying, I am so hurting. And they, they start to tell me, I had a young girl come up to me in uh, Dallas who said, I'm so glad they always say it. I'm so glad I came to the talk. Thank you so much. She's weeping. And she says, I am struggling with my sexuality right now. Mm-hmm. Like I'm just struggling. And I said something to my youth pastor and my friends, and they told me, until I figure it out, I can't come back to church. I don't know what to do. She says, I've oh. tried to die by suicide four times. My mo- <laughs> This poor girl, she, she wasn't living with her mom. Her and a younger brother were living with their grandmother because they found their mom after an unsuccessful suicide attempt. She was on the floor unresponsive. This little girl had to help revive her own mother while on the phone with 911. She's, she was 13. You know, wow. and, and she doesn't know how to cope with this. And then she, the, the one place back at the one place that she should go, the church, because she's confused. Of course, she's confused. She's confused that the world is throwing so much at her right now through like what we said, social media and all this stuff. Why would we expect that she wouldn't be confused? And she goes to the church and they say, you know what? You're not welcome here until you figure this stuff out. And now wow. she sees no way. So she tried to die by suicide. You know, um, and these are, these are just samplings of, so I have one, I've, uh, can I share another story? Yeah, yeah, please. A good story. So one of the questions that I ask and answer in the talk is, uh, can a Christian die by suicide and still go to heaven? Mm-hmm. So I answer that's it. A, I say, that's I, like I, a perennial question. Yeah. Everybody asks that question. I mean, yeah. probably 80% of the people who come to my talk just want to hear that answer, right? That's all. Yeah. That's the reason they're there. I make them wait for it because I do it at the very end. And uh <laughs> And so I answered, of course, I say, uh, according to the true story of reality, that's dictated to us through the Bible. What the Bible says, this is God, not me. The manner in which somebody dies has no bearing on their eternal destiny. And I say, if an atheist dies by suicide, do they go to heaven or hell? Everybody says hell. I say, why? Well, because they didn't believe in Jesus. So why would we place this uh, extra burden on top of Christian, this extra requirement on top of a Christian? How we uh, no work gains us or loses us heaven no work including repentance repentance is a gift that we're given from god and i and then i go on i I talk about romans five and six so anyways i i i I preach this lavish grace i i i I give my biblical evidence for the answer i had this girl come up in tears at this was actually at uh i delivered this talk at the evangelical philosophical society meeting two years ago Mm mm-hmm and super important, I know, and uh, <laughs> and it's it's not, and uh, and she comes up t- crying back at she's in tears, young young woman, probably twenty, maybe older, but I they all look twenty to me now. I'm old, so she comes up and she's bawling and she says she says I am so glad I came to this talk. I said, oh why? And she said because my aunt died last year by suicide. My mom's sister, uh, she had schizophrenia and she could not handle it anymore. She loved Jesus. My pastor and my mom's pastor, they go to the same church, told us that she was in hell. And that has been a burden on us. And she says, I can't wait to get home 
and share this with my mom tonight. I can't wait. So like in the midst of the grief and the trials, like, so these are little things that God gives me to really encourage me because there's all this darkness here uh, that that's kind of surrounds this talk and it's, it's a hard issue and I'm happy to do it. And I think it's helping it's, it's giving people hope. Um, but God, every once in a while gives me these, Oh, I really do help people, you know? Yeah. Uh, but, but I see the hurt Beckett. These kids are, they're floundering. They're, I would imagine you see it too in the context of your talk. Yeah. They're very, they're very yeah. closely related. They're very closely related and it's, it's an identity issue and it's, you know, and again, as I always, you know, talk about, it's like the culture is so powerful and it's, it's, there's so much coming at these kids and, and, and there's so many lies coming at these kids. And so they're having to like, not only go through puberty and develop and grow up, but they're having to deal with the most intense lies of, of, uh, since I've been alive, you know? (laughs) So, so it's, and there's, it just seems so overwhelming. I mean, I, even today I was like, I was praying earlier today and I was just like, God, this world is so upside down. I mean, what, what gives like, please come back. You know, it's, and I can't imagine being a teenager in this time in, in history and, so my question to you is what if a parent is d- dealing with this right now? So let's say a Christian parent is dealing with their son or daughter who is a teenager or a preteen, whatever. And they're, you know, they're, 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 the, the child is, is self-harming or is suicidal. What practical advice do you get? I mean, would you give to a parent? Yeah, this is actually where the liter- that stuff from the New York Times actually did a really great job. It's it is so rare that I line up with the New York Times. I know they did actually. They did give yeah, they gave some good uh, some good answers to that. As far as practical advice, right? Um, dialogue talking is so important. You know, be patient and slow to speak. Quick to like you want to be listening. Quick to listen. Be an, uh, an intentional listener. Be okay mm-hmm. with silence. But ask really direct questions. Say, hey, Robbie, uh, you know, I've just noticed some differences. Uh, You don't want to play soccer anymore. And and you're kind of not hanging out with your friends and uh, whatever your concerns are. Are you thinking about dying by suicide? Are you thinking about suicide? Are you cutting? Are you harming yourself? Use specific and intentional questions. It used to be that um, we, we feared using those questions. Right. Uh, it, it, those terms, because somehow you put those thoughts in your teen's mind. Yeah. Well, the thoughts are already there, you know, it, 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 and, and also research is actually showing us that when, when somebody is, is pre-suicidal, meaning they're just starting their journey down that dark path, if somebody comes alongside them and asks a direct question, are you thinking about suicide? the statistics are showing us that the chances of a favorable outcome, meaning they're not going to die by suicide are much greater. Yeah. So you, you try to remove any ambiguity in the question. When I answer this question in front of the people for, during the talk, I say, listen, guys, I have nothing profound to tell you nothing. I have nothing profound. I just have really hard things for you to do. One is talk. You yeah. have to, if, if this is you and you're wrestling with this inside, if, if you're dealing with this, you need to talk to somebody like today, like you find a pastor, a friend, a teacher, a counselor, a coworker, uh, an administrator, somebody that you can trust and you talk to them. If you are a friend to somebody, you notice that they're exhibiting certain signs and in that New York times article, it discusses some of the signs, you know? Yeah. Um, expressions of loneliness, hopelessness, uh, uh, giving their stuff away, uh, writing notes to people. If you exhibit these signs, disheveled people who are well put together, becoming disheveled, not playing sports where they're once athletic, ask them the question. Hey, you know, Liz, I've noticed some changes. Are you thinking about suicide? And let her be like, oh my gosh, no. You know, and then you can be like, okay, cool. Like you yeah. pass that or let her be open to you. So dialogue is so important. In the Christian community, there is a strong contingent of people who shun counseling. Like th- they, they say really awful things. Counseling doesn't work. Pray it out, you know, uh, and all this stuff. Counseling helps. 
it helps. Everybody should go to counseling <laughs> because we're all miswired up here, you know, um, meds help, you know, so, but the proper, you know, the proper combination of counseling and medication can help a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So those are things, those are very practical things, but they, it all starts with talking. You got to talk. Yeah. And so where do you land um, with your own daughters, like in terms of smartphones and at what age do you allow them to engage and, and have a smartphone and engage in social media? Like how, <laughs> how on top of that are you? Yeah. So this is, this is the, uh, the part of the presentation where most, I hear the most groaning in the audience. <laughs> I, I, I say, get off of social media, just get off of it. It's a cancer. Yeah. It's Beckett. I, ha- I, I make my living as a public speaker social media is like a necessity to me, like a necessity to me, Yeah, you know, but get off of it. You know, you have a YouTube channel. I'm telling all your people to get off of social media, I know, you know, because it's a cancer. My kids do not have smartphones. My, my oldest is 12, you know, so this is a little easier for me. I've got 12, 10, nine, and five. Uh, they will not have a social media account. My wife doesn't have a social media account. Um, I have it and I use it sparsely. Uh, we're pretty hardcore on that. Um, what my kids now, what my kids ingest is another story. You know, uh, sometimes stuff slips through. They do, uh, they'll do, they do watch a couple mom hack shows on YouTube, <laughs> but it's all through my stuff. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. They're learning how to sort laundry better or something, you know? Um, but, uh, but I track everything and I have my filters, um, but we talk. So here's something that I've found out just from speaking to so many people on this that I, that I didn't know was rare. It is. We eat dinner together. Like we actually like sit down at the table. We set the table. Like not, I mean, we got plastic plates and stuff, but like we set the table, we put the food on the table and we sit down, you know, I'll spend two hours making a meal and they spend 10 minutes at the table, but we have 10 minutes at the table together every night. And yeah. it's a time for us to kind of connect. I've found that that's a great, um, a, a great resource for us as a family to kind of see where each other's at. We see everybody as a group. We get through the complaining, and we can start really hearing how people are. Are my kids, not people, but my kids are doing. So those are some stuff that I do with the kids. But no social media, man. Uh-uh. Yeah, I mean, I I remember grow, growing up in Dallas. I mean, we had family dinner every night at 6 p.m. that we all sat around the table. There was no, there was no social media. There were no phones. There was only one phone and it was, you know, a landline. And, um, but we, we had dinner every night and, and I'm so, you know, I'm so grateful that I grew up in that environment with no social media, no smartphones, uh, not all this like crazy distraction. I mean, I, I even find, you know, myself, if I look at Twitter for more than, 10 minutes. I'm just like, ah, like, I just feel like, I just feel like I just tell like toxic, you know, I just, I need to detox from it. Yeah. You feel dirty. I feel dirty. And and it's just, it's so, I can't imagine what kids are feeling when they're, when they're looking at all this stuff and looking at TikTok and all the t- like crazy TikTok videos that are just like yeah. going viral and kids are like, oh, I want to, you know, I want to be a TikTok star. It's just like, insanity to me. Yeah, it is insane. It's like, like, like I said, in that article, when I read that, oh, we, we gave our, our child, our, our girl, a 10 year old girl, her first smartphone at 10. I, I right away my, I was, I was thinking to myself, oh my gosh, you know, but, but when you read between the lines of that story, it's kind of descriptive of so many of us, me included, we are so caught up on the highways and byways of life, Beckett, that oftentimes we forget to get off and we, uh, we shelve the things that are super important, like conversation with, with my daughter about school for things that are still important, but not as important, like writing my next blog or reviewing my presentation for my trip I have coming up this weekend. You know, we have to be better at as parents, as, as grownups, better at modeling what it's like to get off of that highway you know, when I, I was at a, which I got to be careful what I say, cause I don't want to get anybody in trouble. You know, I was at an event, uh, a, a private, like a, a school event, a soccer, I, I was at a soccer game the other night. I was trying to avoid saying it. Cause somebody's going to watch this. Like, <laughs> so I was at a soccer event and 
like 45, 50% of the parents were on their phones, like not talking wow. on the phone, like, in, and they're on social media, they're texting, they're emailing. And you know what? It was uh three 30 in the afternoon. So I totally understand that people need to work. So maybe they're getting some work done, which is fantastic. Cause these things, they, they help, they free us up a little bit, but I, I would be willing to bet you that the majority of them were on Facebook Instagram or Twitter yeah, or, you know, one of those and, and they're missing, they're missing their life. They're missing what matters. They're missing their kids stuff. Me at home, I come home, my phone, and it drives everybody nuts, Beckett. My phone goes on the charger in the bedroom and I don't touch it until I go to bed. And what I do is I do a quick scan. Are there any emergencies? No, I, there's never emergencies. And I look at my calendar for t- the next day just to make sure, okay, do I have to get up early? Then am I forgetting something? Yeah. And I have at 7 PM, my phone, my, I have an Android. I have an internal like thing that uh, is a do not disturb. The only number that gets through after 7 PM is my wife's phone number. And that's it. Um, yeah. So, and it drives people nuts. Like it drives them nuts. My, I pastor a small little church. So I have my fellow pastors. They're trying to get in touch with me and they can't. But, but I want to, I want to model this for my kids. Yeah. Cause uh, you know, I'm saying don't do this, but then all of a sudden I'm doing it. It doesn't yeah. work that way. Put the fun away. I mean, I I've said this for many, uh, for a long time that I really do. I really think that one of Satan's masterpieces is the smartphone. It really has, it, it is. I mean, you think, you think about what's happened since the smartphone uh, came into existence and what, I don't know what year, 2009 or whatever that was. And, and you see the dramatic impact it's had on culture, on society, on teens, on mental health. I mean, it is outrageous. And so I think, you know, Satan is thrilled that we're all addicted to these dumb things. I just want to throw Do you this- get that? It's called the phantom buzz. Like you won't even have your phone in your pocket and you feel the buzz of your phone. Well, no, I don't. I never have my phone on buzz. I have it. On, oh. I just always, yeah, I have it on just ring. Cause I'm old school. <laughs> I, I need to hear a t- like a ringtone. <laughs> so, yeah. It's crazy. We are like totally Pavlov's dogs, man. We've been I conditioned. Know. We are. Yeah, we Pavlov's feel dogs. We, it's crazy. One thing I wanted to kind of stress before we wrap up or anything like is the idea that, one of the major things that people discuss with me is the fact that they struggle with God in the midst of their trials and tribulations. Right. I don't know about like when you came, when you came to Christ, you have such a dramatic story. When I came to Christ, I don't know if you felt the same way. I thought life was like perfect. Me too. Yeah. I was like, I was I like, this answer. is amazing. This is incredible. Like you need to know who Jesus is. My problems are all gone. But then very quickly, I realized I live in a fallen and a broken world that even I have to wrestle with as a Christian. Yeah. And I feel like sometimes people don't understand that God uses these things in our lives. They're, they're not for not right. So Paul says that these are but momentary light afflictions producing in us eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. And notice there's two things happening. One, they're momentary. We've already stressed that. Mm -hmm. right? This too shall pass. Don't confuse the moment with the story. God will lift you up. He will dust you off. He will push you back out into the world. But notice the second thing Paul's saying here, our trials, they're producing something in us that otherwise wouldn't be there. Like if we didn't go through the trials, we wouldn't be prepared to shoulder the burden of glory, you know? So God doesn't like use these he, he's not some angry sky daddy that that's liking seeing us go through tribulations. He's not even this far off being that doesn't care. He actually uses these things and puts them in our lives so that we can grow more into the likeness of Christ to be equipped for ruling and reigning in paradise forever and ever alongside the son of God. Like yeah. That's amazing to me. And that's when you put that lens on, you start reading scripture, you see it everywhere. Right. Yeah. You see trials produce perseverance, perseverance, character, proven character right. and character, hope and a hope that does not disappoint. So I even as that. a Christian, when we wrestle and struggle, I just want to kind of affirm your your audience that that we will wrestle in this life. Some of us are going to wrestle with really difficult things, really, really difficult things, awful things. But when we persevere and press through it. We come out on the other side looking more like Jesus and more equipped for heaven. 
suicide's never the answer, not ever. So I just wanted to make sure I, I like say that. that. Well, that's, that's a very good word. We're going to leave it at that. But and just it, for people watching, where can people go to get resources on this or what, what can they, does Stand to Reason have resources on it? Yeah, absolutely. So go to str.org and go and search, just do a search on the website and you'll find my talk. You'll find some blog articles that have been written. Greg has covered this. Uh, as far as the can a Christian die by suicide and still go to heaven, Greg did a, like a 40 minute podcast on it. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, you know, Greg Kokel is, uh, is a great resource. Stand to reason. Sean McDowell's new book that isn't quite out yet. I, it's, I don't oh yeah. I have a the... copy of it right here. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to talk to him he, about it. He includes a whole chapter, a section on suicide. Um, so go, go to Sean's new yeah, book when it's fact, out. This is the book, A Rebel yeah. Manifesto. I'm going to oh, have Sean right. on in a couple of weeks to talk about this. Oh, book. fantastic. Yeah, he, him and I kind of consulted on that chapter. So he offers some good resources. One of, the, one of the hard things about this topic, though, Beckett, is that there's very little out there by way of literature. There's a, there's a great resource. The, the best resource that I found is simple. It's a book called Preventing Suicide, A Guide for Pastors is the title. Mm-hmm. And you can just Google that or, or go on the Amazon and purchase it. It's a decent resource, Okay, but there's good. not that much out there. Good. Well, thank you, John, for being on the show and your oh, wisdom. Thank you. And thank you for being a friend. And, um, <laughs> I got to go now because I've got to get on Twitter and see what's going on. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I hear um, you. <laughs> get on that bus, man. Get on the highway. Let's do it. All right. Well, thank you, John. I appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much, Beckett. All right, guys. Thank you so much for watching and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Beckett Cook Show. Your support makes this content possible. All episodes of The Beckett Cook Show are also available on YouTube. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. found myself on a ledge three stories high at some condominiums contemplating my life and struggling to understand my purpose have you ever found yourself on the ledge my name is billy yates i'm a caring father mentor and friend in my new podcast billy and the goat i share the life-changing events that shaped who i am today to remind you that no matter how far you've fallen god can help you get up and thrive listen now at lifeaudio.com